in the last couple days, a couple cars, big cars actually, have driven by me. One of them was a truck, the other one was a small SUV. Still a big car, but a small SUV. And each of them has had a trailer behind the car, behind the, the big car, as it's moving. And the trailer has a big American flag in it, prominently displayed, you know, flowing, just flowing like a flag in the wind, in the wind. And I've seen that before. I've seen it a number of times over the last few years. And what gets me, first of all, is how big these flags are. Like, these flags seem gigantic. But I realize they're probably just normal-sized flags, and I'm just used to seeing them at the tops of flagpoles where they look small to me. But I'm like, oh, okay, so these are normal-sized flags. I'm just not used to seeing them from, you know, the ground. I'm not used to seeing flags eye to eye. Uh, so that means that all flags are big flags. It doesn't mean that they change size when they, you know, are reeled down the, the flagpole. It means they're big all the time, and that's good to know. I feel like it's one of those things you need to know, is that, oh, flags are actually huge. The standard for flags are actually surprisingly big. But yeah, these guys have been driving around with them, and that alone doesn't bother me. I know a lot of people uh, probably would be bothered by it, these nationalists, these patriots, whatever it is they're trying to communicate with big flags on trailers. That's the interesting thing. With the little SUV, it's, it feels satisfying to call something a little SUV. Uh, but with that, I understand, you know, you can't really display a big flag behind your SUV without some kind of little trailer. But the truck, you know, you'd think they would have it propped up in the truck bed, that that's what it would be for. But no, they've got it behind them. And for all I know, these people know each other and they trade off. They trade off trailers. And, uh, you know, I'm going out. I'm, I'm going to Burger King, you know. Uh, how about I, I'll take the flag this time. The other one's like, well, you know, I'm... You know, i got to drive down to Portland and uh, see some relatives. Why don't I take it for a freeway spin? Let, you know, the whole state see it. The whole southern part of this state, let's let them see the flag. But I'm above uh, patriot shaming at this point. I'm, I'm above flag shaming. Kind of like, in the same way that I'm against phone shaming, too. I feel like this stuff, they're the, the easiest coconuts to knock down, is how I'd put it. Uh, it's very easy to knock somebody for attaching their identity to a flag or some kind of national identity. But you can't escape it either. And as I've talked about before, you know, being an American can be anything you want it to be. It can be something where you display the flag big. Because the, on the only thing I don't like about those guys, the only thing I don't like about these guys that I've seen, and I've seen them before, but it's just strange to me to suddenly see a couple of them in the past couple of days, but the only thing that bothers me about them is that I know they're doing it to be aggressive. I know they're doing it because they're kind of looking for a fight, because they know that there are some people who, in my opinion, are just as irrational, who see that flag behind that truck as some kind of threat. And or, or think that it's not okay to display your flag. They think it's not okay to be nationalistic at all. And in turn, it's, it's sort of this egging each other on thing where in turn, you know, a different kind of person is like, well, you know, since they don't like the flag anyway, I'm going to shove it in their face and I'm going to hope they talk to me. 
I'm going to hope they talk to me. I'm, I'm going to hope they make a snide remark in the grocery store parking lot about my big flag. My completely normal-sized flag that just happens to be big because it turns out most flags are giant. Uh, you know, I'm just going to hope someone says something about it. Uh, I'm going to hope someone says my flag is too big because I'll take that as a compliment. You know, I know that's the attitude that a lot of these guys have. Most, if not all of them, are sort of looking to provoke someone. Otherwise, they wouldn't really do it. Because just a bumper sticker would do. Just a sticker of the flag. Just a small flag. Just some kind of flag. Some kind of representation of, of national pride would be enough. But attaching a trailer with a standard-sized flag that is going to shock people because of how big it is... Uh, <laughs> You know, that's the issue. Uh, but at the same time, like I said, I feel like the people who are going to respond to that negatively are equally irrational and equally part of, if not the problem, a problem. People talk about the problem. Oh, the one problem. I love that problem. You know, the one that if we solve it, <laughs> you know, everything is just suddenly fixed. Now, it's a part of a problem. Uh, I'm not going to assume there's some master problem that we can just work out. Just a Rubik's Cube. Just solve one Rubik's Cube and all the world's problems just disappear. There probably is something like that. There probably is something we could all do to make that happen. But as far as problems go, I'm not going to assume there's just one. Uh, the problem is, is, you know... Why do flags look so small when you're just standing, you know, down below a flagpole? It's almost like perspective is real. Uh, perspective is real. You heard it here, folks. But yeah, that idea of, uh, you know, belonging to something, I don't... You know, I'm not going to bash somebody for that if, if they choose to be proud or choose to belong, you know, with their national identity, something that was told to them from the time they were born, something that the whole world identifies them as. You know, there's a lot of people who don't know you, but they know you're an American because you live here. Something you will never detach yourself from. Doesn't matter whether you renounce your country and move elsewhere. I mean, if you do that, you're especially, probably wherever you live, say you go to some place where nobody speaks English, in their tongue, they're going to have some word for you that indicates you're an American and it's going to make you feel like even more of an American, you know, than you did when you lived here and didn't want to be one. And it also gets back to that issue of, you know, you can be, because you are an American, because you won't be able to fully ever detach yourself from that identity, if you were to become famous enough to be mentioned in a history book, you would be described as American. It would be a small, basic fact. Nobody would overthink it. They would just know that that's the context in which your individual life came to, to be. Let's put it that way. You know, your identity, your individual identity was, was formed, you know, in this place around these people. All it is is context, nothing more. <laughs> Uh, being an American, all it is is context, nothing more. It's true, though. It's just, it tells you a little something about that person. But beyond that, it's up to you what you want that to be. And for someone, it is dragging a huge flag. 
For other people, it is, you know, standing up for what they think is right, for burning the flag, whatever. It doesn't have to be the complete opposite of wielding a flag, but, you know, it really could be anything you want. Whatever you feel is right, whatever you just intuitively feel fits you, makes you an American, in my opinion. And there are certain things in common. I think when you live in a place and have a certain geography, speak a similar language or dialect, you know, there, there are things that actually beyond just, I don't know, there, I think there are characteristics that you take on and that you carry with you as an American whether you want to or not. And that's exactly what I mean when, you know, someone goes to another country and they're like, oh, I'm, you know, I've given up my citizenship. I don't like this president. I'm no longer an American. I'm just so upset. I'm just so upset. And they go to this other place and it's like, oh, now you're even more of the thing that you didn't want to be. And you're lying to yourself if you don't think that's true. And I'm not, I'm not, this isn't an argument like you should stay in this country. I think go wherever you want. That's one of the great things, but know that you carry something with you. You're going to bring something with you. Uh, and yeah, so, you know, if you're going to like completely fight that and attack anyone who has embraced that for any reason, whether it's good or bad, because it does go both ways. I mean, people embrace that. People embrace their identity as an American, you know, whether they're chanting USA at the Olympics or they're, you know, a creative person. I mean, you see it a lot in early rock and roll. There's a lot of not nationalistic pride, but there's definitely an element of, hey, this is a product of American culture and we're proud that this is our thing. We're proud that this is what we've done, what we've created, and it only could have been created here under these circumstances, good and bad, and a whole lot of otherwise. That to me is what it means to embrace your identity, is to say, I could have only been this version of me that I currently am in this place, in the time in which I was born, uh, you know, knowing the people that I know, having the people I know around me, being introduced to the people and ideas that have led me up to this point. And it turns out most of them are Americans and it all happened on American soil. And, <laughs> you know, the, the vast majority of my influences are American, are wholly American. So, you know, you can do the math on that. And when you get into that, you know, it's like, why not just embrace it at that point? Why not try to define it to be, you know, something that you're proud of, I guess. You know, what are you proud of about yourself? I mean, I think you can look at it from that angle. And for me, being proud of myself, being proud of where I'm from, being proud of the people and the places that I've been, uh, you know, it doesn't involve attaching a trailer to my car with a big flag, but I'm not opposed to a little gesture. You know, I was working on a project last year and the person uh, publishing that project, I guess you could say, uh, wanted to put a little American flag down in some details, like there was some other information, you know, and it was just kind of basically a, a made in America sort of gesture. This is an American product. I don't know, we didn't really discuss, we didn't really get into detail, he basically just asked me if I was cool with that, and the reason he asked me if I was cool with that is because he had worked with some people who weren't, and I really enjoyed it, you know, as someone who's, you know, involved in some esoteric 
subjects, esoteric projects, just an easy way to define it. An easy way to define it by basically just using undefinable words. But anyway, just as someone who's into that, I kind of like the, you know, that combination. I like the idea of putting a little American flag, you know, in the details, you know, in the, in the notes when everything else is, you know, very detached from any idea of, you know, what you expect from an American, you know, something that's just very, you know, strange art, strange creativity combined, combined with like some level of pride as, as an American, you know, and I, I feel like infusing the American identity with something different without trying to destroy it or topple it or any of that. Because that's where a lot of stuff comes from. There's this idea that we need to topple this. We need to just topple America, topple the American identity. And it's just like, you know, why is this your priority? And what do you think this is going to do for anybody? I mean, one of the few unifying forces out there. <laughs> you know, when you think about all the people in this country, one of the few unifying forces is actually that identity. And, and the identity as a person, the identity as people, beyond just the state, beyond the military, you know, beyond all of that. Uh, there's a lot more unified... There's a lot more unification going on than there is division as a result of the fact that we have a national identity. And, you know, sometimes that, you know, of course that's going to, you know, people are going to provoke each other. There are people in states, in countries where people are pretty, uh, what's the word, mono, uh, you know, there's less... uh, Let's just say there's, there's less physical and cultural diversity in some countries, and in those countries too, people are at each other's throats. So there's no real one size. I was gonna say one size fits all, but I think a more appropriate thing would be to say uh, there's no single fix. Again, it goes back to this idea of the problem, and it's what people talk about when they talk about any number of issues in the U.S. The problem is. You know, the, the problem. And the problem basically ends up being whatever the last thing that person read was. That's what the problem was. Whatever the last thing was that, you know, fell onto that person's radar. The last thing they came into contact with that really bothered them or really bothered somebody else that they admire. Because more often it's that. I feel like there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people... A lot of people's emotions are kind of rooted in, well, how are these people processing it? You know, how are these people dealing with this? And if someone they admire is upset about it, they're like, oh, well, that's my signal. <laughs> you know, that's, that's my rallying cry. You know, because when someone admires a person, and we are a society of admirers, as much as people want to focus on you know, the fact that people do criticize each other so much, that people are so hard on each other, there's a lot of admiration going on as well. And, you know, often the critics are secret admirers. You know, celebrities have talked about the phenomenon of people trashing them online or behind their back or that sort of thing. But of course, when they meet them, they are gushing fans, just gushing 
fans about whoever that person was that they had previously trashed. You know, because there is this secret admiration. It's the, the same. When you put someone on a pedestal, it doesn't really matter whether you're attacking them or you're trying to destroy them. You've put them on a pedestal and, you know, made them stand out in some way. And more often than not, if you put someone on a pedestal to praise them, you know, you'll also see that as a great opportunity to, you know, throw things at them, to destroy them if they do something, you know, wrong or something you don't agree with. Because it's like, oh, well, they're already up there. And who do they think they are for being up on that pedestal anyway, right? Even though we push them up there, who do they think they are? You know, there's that sort of attitude. Uh, so it's not surprising that, you know, uh, the harshest critics are sometimes, you know, the most passionate secret admirers of whatever it is they're trying to destroy. I mean, we see that all the time, too. We see that with people who are actually hiding things. You know, people who are up on a moral high horse were particularly self-righteous. Turns out they were indulging in whatever it is they were attacking. Uh, it's, It's not uncommon at all. I mean, basically, it's like if you were to look at it from a completely objective, like almost a, a computer view, that computer view, it's like I'm seeing it all on a computer screen, but you could see it on like some sort of you know division of memory, like a computer's memory, and it's like it's taking up this much space on this, this much space on this, it's using up this much memory, this much of the processing power on this. And it's not telling you whether you're enjoying it or not. It's not giving you a read on anything else other than the fact that you're devoting this much space, this much memory to this thing, to this program, to this software, whatever it is. Whatever it is you got running back there. What do you got running back here? You know, whatever it is. And, you know, if you were to see, like, if it's focusing on something that you are... Just a vocal critic about it. It doesn't have to be the celebrity thing. It could be any subject, TV show, a new product that everybody loves, people being on their phones. You know, uh, you look at, let's, that's actually a great example because think about someone who, you know, finds every opportunity they can uh, to phone shame. I'm going to copyright that word. I'm sure it's been used. I'm sure that term has been used by someone else, but. I'm going to be, uh, just like I, I'm one of the biggest proponents against sweat shaming, shaming people for sweating. I'm a, I'm, I've always been a big proponent, you know, in the anti-sweat shaming movement. I think I'm going to become a big proponent in the anti-phone shaming movement. I think I already am a big proponent. Already a big proponent. That's a pretty big proponent over there. Look at him. He's a big proponent. But I never heard proponent used that way. Uh, But uh, it's kind of like being an American. You know, you can kind of interpret it any way you want. You can interpret the word proponent however you want. Apply it however you want. So much so that you forget what it means and forget what you're doing. Uh, But, uh, you know, with the phone thing, I think that's a great example where if you were to look at, like, the amount of computational memory, CPU memory, that you're devoting to the subject of, like, getting mad about people using their phones. 
getting mad every time you see a stranger texting, walking down the street, getting mad every time your girlfriend checks her Facebook on her phone, getting, uh, you know, upset, whatever, at your little brother because he just plays them app games every time you visit. You know, whatever it is, you know, you're mad. A lot of people are mad about phones because I hear about it constantly. I hear people complaining about it all over the place. But all you would see is, oh, 40% memory is uh, being used to talk about phones. You wouldn't see that they're using that memory to, like, attack phones. You would just see that they're devoting that much energy, that much memory, that much of their processing power to phones, to the point where it's almost always running in the background. Because that's the thing about these petty things that we get upset about, is that they're almost like programs we have, and they're always running in the background. And you check your task manager, and you're like, what the hell is this thing? You know, like, what is this thing that's always running? And I, you know, and, and when I try to, like, you know, force, force it closed, when I try to, like, force the program to close, you know, everything gets fucked up, or my system crashes, and, I, you know, I don't even know what that thing is. I don't even know what that thing is, eating up all my memory. You know, it's, it's that sort of thing. Because oftentimes we do, we have these, almost this, this software running behind us that's like, oh yeah, get mad at that every time you see it. And if you're going to get mad about that every time you see it, that means you're probably going around in a state where you're kind of ready to get mad. You know, you're kind of ready for that thing to annoy you. Because it's already kind of running in the background and it affects, you know, affects the way you interact with people. It affects everything. It affects how you feel about your life for sure. So do a hard wipe. Close all the programs. No, I don't know what to do about that. I mean, I, I feel like it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, you know, if this thing's going to be running in my background all the time, I'm going to just try to find a way to, you know, put it to use. Find out what this thing's actually doing, first of all. And, uh, you know, the metaphor dries up quickly <laughs> right there. Because uh, this isn't uh, the help desk. This isn't the IT help desk. Our metaphors only go so far. I can't tell you how to fix your computer. Can't tell you how to fix your biological computer. But I do think you can think about it that way and be like, you know, when I think about the amount of processing power, my mental and, you know, I think it's, it, that stuff has a physical impact too. I mean, I think your thoughts absolutely have a, a physical impact on you. Uh, they control what you're doing physically, so why wouldn't they have some sort of impact on how you feel physically? Uh, but uh, if you're just devoting that much thought alone, that much energy of any kind to one particular subject, in the end, it's not going to matter whether it's a positive or negative preoccupation. You're just using that much time and energy and space. Uh, and it's kind of how it goes for the flag thing as well. You know, you're attaching a little trailer behind your truck. And that flag is huge and it takes up a lot of space and it's awkward to drive. And it's, you know, just running along behind you at all times. And it's just like, man, like, you know. Did you really need to put the energy into doing this? You know, it's, it's just, you know, did you really need to, you know, devote like the physical space as well as whatever it was you were thinking, you know, when you put this stuff together, you know, cause you had to, you know, mount the flag, get the trailer. <laughs> like this, uh, a family of bicyclists were riding by me as I was saying that. And I just, 
I'd love to know what they think. <laughs> they probably didn't think about anything I said. Uh, it's just me being narcissistic. You hear that so much now. It's it's so unbearable right now. Uh, how often you hear people refer to narcissism? Like this is the complete tangent. But uh, as someone who's very tries to be very self conscious of my own tendencies toward narcissism, you know, not, not that I'm narcissistic, but definitely self absorbed. And it is worth making that distinction. I feel even if it's just for my own self-absorbed reasons. <laughs> Can't think of any other reasons. Uh, but uh, now often, like, just if you're just, like, passing by a television or anything, like, every podcast, everything, TV commercials are even riffing on this. You hear this the term narcissistic thrown around constantly, and a large reason is because, you know, you got these, you know, 80-year-old psychologists given just the hottest takes it's unbelievable. These revelations that these guys uh, give when they're interviewed, they say things like, you know, I think the president uh, is a classic narcissist. You know, you didn't hear from me, but that would be my clinical diagnosis. You know, it's like, oh, really? You know, you're hearing that, and then you hear the same people say, and we live in narcissistic times where, you know, the, the children are, are on their phones taking selfies and everybody's their own 15 minutes of 15 likes of fame. As I've said before, the 15 likes of fame, only 15 likes can't be too famous then. But no, but, it, you know, people act like they're, you know, it's like some sort of revelation that, you know, oh, this famous person who craves power and, and you know, celebrity might have some, you know, self-absorbed narcissistic tendencies, maybe even clinically. Oh, a bunch of youth who suddenly have a new way to, you know, share themselves. These these people who, you know, 20 years ago were doing this through fashion, doing it through their interests. These people who are basically designed, young people are designed to say, look at me. You know, and if they're not, you know, there's a good chance they're depressed or something. You know what I mean? Like most people have some sense of, you know, spirit, young people do, and want to express some kind of individuality or something. If not individuality, they just want to be like really good at something. Uh, and that's a way of standing out in and of itself. Uh, so, you know, the fact that these people today, these people today but are like, oh, well, you know, the youth of today, they've just become so narcissistic with their phones and their social media and this and that. And it's like, no, this was built in. It's always been this way. I don't think people are any different. And in fact, I think that people aren't given enough credit for the amount of listening and reading and, the, you know, the level of interest they actually have in what other people are saying, you know, the way that, um, you know, people are paying attention is what I mean. And I don't think that's acknowledged enough. Uh, I don't think that it's acknowledged enough that people are actually paying a lot of attention to what other people are doing. And in doing that, they're participating themselves. They're being like, oh, well, you know, hey, I'm looking at you and your photos and your thoughts and whatever it is you do, whatever it is you think makes you special, whatever it is you think is funny, and I'm going to do it myself. That's all it is. And is there a level of narcissism to that? Probably. Probably. Is there a, a level of narcissism to simply wanting to be, wanting to survive? I mean, it just comes down to that. It's like, 
you know, is it narcissistic to, you know, eat the last donut? You know, when it's any, anybody could get that donut, but it just happened to be you. Is it narcissistic to, you know, just decide I'm going to eat that donut because I really want it and there's only one left? Uh, you know, whatever, maybe. I mean, maybe you should have, as I, as I like to joke about, maybe you should have been the one in the office who took out the little plastic knife and cut off a little piece of the donut, even though you know you're going back for, like, two more whole donuts and you're going to eat them piecemeal, literally piecemeal, you know, inch-long bite of donut by inch-long donut bite of donut, which sounds really gross and dirty. Sorry to talk about donuts like this. <laughs> uh, no, but you know, it's like, are you going to be that person or are you just going to eat the donut because you know you're going to eat it anyway? You know, give up on the fake donut chivalry and just eat the donut. No, but I, I think you can see narcissism in just human nature. And so, of course, when we have these new technologies, these new ways to express ourselves, it's going to be even more apparent. And I, mean, I think about podcasts a lot for that reason. You know, because in many ways, simply in many ways, simply doing a podcast, you know, shows a level of self-absorption, like listening to me talk, listen to my ideas, listen to what I think is interesting or funny or whatever it is, whatever it is you do. But I think we need to look at podcasts in the same way we do public access television. And that was something I always wanted. I always wanted a public access television show, but I just never, never quite did it. And, uh, and at this point, you can't capture that magic. You can't capture the magic of a bunch of young dudes running around with a camcorder with the idea of having it play on a local television station at 2 in the morning. You know, you can't recapture that kind of magic today. But I know for me, as someone who's always wanted to do things like that, someone who's always liked the idea of pirate radio... It's like, oh, podcasting is a, an easy way to do that. And, you know, it lacks a lot of the mystery and atmosphere of, say, a crackling, you know, radio signal. Getting, a, getting some of that pirate radio. Uh, you know, it's not going to have that atmosphere. You know, it's not going to have the atmosphere of a public access TV show made by 19-year-old dudes in 1992. You know, it's not going to have that kind of atmosphere, but you still can do basically the same thing. And so that's where my interest in podcasts come from. And I think it's actually very American. I think of podcasts as a very American phenomenon, much like, you know, TV, Hollywood movies, rock and roll. Not that it's necessarily on that level, but I do, I see it in the same way I see those things. And I see it as, you know, something of an American activity. Uh, there's a reason why we associate all of those things with American culture. And, you know, when we think of those things, we don't think of them because of the flag, and we don't have to brand those things with a flag, but they are still wholly American, uniquely American. And I really don't mean to put podcasts in that category. I think there are a lot of other things, too, that would fit along with podcasts. I think in some ways, um, there are a lot more things now, a lot more more avenues to you know express yourself uniquely than ever before. Um, and if that means dragging a big flag behind your truck, okay. I'm not going to mock that. 
I'm not going to shame that. I'm not going to shame that person for feeling that that's the best way to express themselves. But I'm going to end this episode with a joke that I thought of a couple days ago. As I try to avoid getting hit by a car, because that would be the joke. Just splat. (laughs) That's my joke. I just say, here's a joke. You hear screeching tires and screaming. No, but I thought of a joke a couple days ago, because yesterday was the gay pride parade here. And I was thinking, you know, you could really tell a lot about a person, politically, socially, by just asking them, you know, if you, let's say it was two days ago and you went up to somebody and you said, hey, do you know of any parades coming up? You know, I'm a big parade fan. Do you know any of any parades coming up? And if they were to say, oh yeah, the gay pride parades tomorrow, you kind of know where they stand. While if they were to go, oh, a parade? Uh, next week's the 4th of July parade. You kind of know where they stand. Just a funny little thing. Not even really a joke, just kind of an observation. But you'd have to be a parade fan to ask that, and I'm not actually a parade fan of any kind. Don't mind being around crowds. Just not a big fan of parades. But, uh, you know, if you ask about the upcoming parades, you can get a read on what that person's priorities are. What that person pays attention to. Whether or not that person has a giant American flag behind their truck or some other kind of flag, I don't know. This land is mine. God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free